We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Today, we conclude our series, Come Lord Jesus, looking at the end of the world and the confident hope that we have as Christians. If you've missed it, you can check it out on Spotify or our website. We've talked about everything from hell to heaven, Judgment Day, the Millennium, uh, the defeat of Satan, the book of Genesis, and the future of the church. It's been an absolute blast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. To start this morning, I was wondering if you could do me a little favor. I was wondering if you could just, for a second, close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a second. Don't worry, we're not going to steal your phones while you do, but just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Thank you. I want to access your imagination. I'm not sure how much of a visual person you are. But I want to ask, when I say the word eternity, I say the word eternity, what do you see? Think about what it looks like to live in eternity. When you think of heaven or the age to come and picture it, what is it that comes to mind? What's the idea? going through your head. Okay, you can open your eyes. Thank you for indulging me. You all have beautiful eyelids. Uh, I wonder this morning, as we do that exercise, how clear was your vision of eternity? Here's an idea I want you to consider this morning, building on where Warren started us five weeks ago, and it's this. It's that a weak vision of the age to come leads to a weak commitment to live for God. It's that slide that we can put up there, uh, David. And then a strong vision, and maybe if you're not that visual, this comes through ideas that you connect with rather than pictures. Uh, A strong vision of the age to come leads to a strong commitment to God, his mission, and his people. If you've got a weak vision, you live just for today, just to be comfortable and avoid pain. But if we have this strong vision, then it allows us to live for God now. If we really believe that there is a life after death, and we will get to live with Christ for eternity, then we will live beyond the everyday. And we will live for that reality now. And this may seem ironic as we talk about the book of Revelation because it's easy for people to read this book and not see a clear vision of the age to come. When I was young, maybe 10 years old, my church hosted a seminar with an end times expert. And they were really impressive. They knew lots of, I thought, secret information. They had lots of charts and diagrams and the secret understanding. They could tell with great clarity when Jesus was coming back. And what I remember from that seminar was actually a sense of dread because Jesus was actually going to come back before I turned 18. Uh, And I was disappointed that I wasn't going to experience all the good things in life. And not only that, there was going to be a series of terrifying things would happen in the the lead-up. I was overwhelmed and a bit afraid. Now, I I hate to break it to you, I'm not... I'm a bit older than 18, so it didn't quite happen the way that that said. But revelation is not to convince uh, God's followers that things are going to get dark and scary. 
That's not the point of Revelation. It shows us through symbolic images that the world is already dark and scary. Revelation is full of hope that we can trust in the God who will make all things new. It gives us clear images of what that will look like. God will turn wastelands into rivers. He will turn, turn like this image, dry and cracked dirt into vibrant gardens. And as we've gone through this series, my prayer for you as your pastor is that you would have a clear vision of God's good future. And as you do, you'd be filled with motivation to live as though that was a reality now. So, this morning, here's my, my job, my task before you is, we're going to read the last chapter of the Bible. We're going to read Revelation 22. And as we do, I want to see us, uh, I want to see this point become more real to us, that we would see that a strong vision of heaven changes us now. But we would also gain that stronger vision. So let's start. Revelation 22, verse 1. We've read a couple of these verses in this series, but we're going to go through uh, them all this morning. Verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. See, our existence will be overflowing with the life of God. This is what Anna was talking about before, the everlasting, the abundant life that God has for us. And as you close your eyes, here are some images you might see. Flowing water, trees, the throne of God, fruit, the nations gathered before him, whole and healed. And it's not just about the images, it's the ideas behind them. It will be greater than anything we've ever experienced. Life will be more in that place, more awe-inspiring than the view from the top of the mountain. It will be uh, a reality more captivating than the most spectacular sunrise. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, Beauty and joy on earth represent only the scent of a flower we have not found the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. It's the new creation. It's, what, it's what's waiting for us. Now, the number one uh, rated movie of all time, does anyone know what it is? If you go to IMDb, top rated movie ever. Any ideas? It's The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Hands up if you've seen The Shawshank Redemption. I want to talk about it just for a minute, and if you haven't seen it, I might spoil it a little bit, but it was released 30 years ago, so it's on you. Uh, the Shawshank Redemption is based on a short story written by Stephen King, not my dad. My dad's Steve King, really different person. <laughs> but the movie version is so fascinating. If you view it as an analogy of the world and heaven, I actually think it was created this way. Here is a, a man, Andy Dufresne, who hasn't done anything wrong. And he ends, ends up in prison. He enters this world of corruption. But in that place, he brings light and love to others. Eventually, he escapes the world, freeing it from its tyrannical rulers. He invites those from that world to a new life in a distant land. It's pretty wild if you really look at it this way. I mean, even as he, as he comes out and he escapes, he, 
puts his arms out like a cross. It's just, it, the name's in the, it's in the title. It's redemption. That's what it's about. But as that movie ends, Morgan Freeman's character has a choice to make. Get busy living or get busy dying. What is it that tells him to keep on living? It's hope. The final words of the movie go like this. Hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. The movie ends with a reunion on the beach with the ocean stretched out before them like eternity. And it's the same hope that we have, that one day we will move from this, this prison that we're in, where we can still find joy, yes, but there is another reality waiting for us, the reality of life better than anything we've ever known. And so we have hope. Revelation 22 continues in verse 3. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. There will come a day when we will worship God without barriers. There will be no curse upon anything. All that was broken will be made new again. We live in the days of the curse, don't we? The days of frustration and toil, the days of sickness and of death. We don't have all the answers as to why God allows suffering and pain, but we know there will come a day when it will all be gone for good. That truth gave great comfort to the seven churches this, this uh, revelation was written to and to Christians throughout history, knowing that death is not the end. One of the most celebrated Christian artists is Stephen Curtis Chapman. In May 2008, tragedy struck his family. Stephen's teenage son came home one day, driving up the drive. It was when he was planning his daughter's wedding. And as his teenage son drove up the drive, he struck his five-year-old sister Maria, killing her instantly. It's a parent's worst nightmare. And Stephen Curtis Chapman often sang of God's goodness and love and he wondered if he could ever sing those songs again. However, as time passed, he did sing those songs. He even wrote an album about the experience. And to be honest, it's a pretty tough listen. It's raw, it's real, it's grief poured out in song form. But if you ever listen to that album, Beauty Will Rise, you will see that the key theme is not despair, but it's hope, especially hope of the age to come. Here are a couple of pieces of a, from a couple of the songs. He writes, We planted the seed while the tears of our grief soaked the ground. The sky lost its sun and the world lost its green to lifeless brown. Now the chilling wind has turned the earth hard as stone and silently seed rise beneath ice and snow. And my heart's heavy now, but I'm not letting go of this hope, hope I have that tells me spring is coming. Spring is coming. And all we've been hoping and longing for soon will appear. Spring is coming. It won't be long now. It's just about here. And in another song he writes, but in my mind's eye, I can see a place where your glory fills every empty space. All the cancer gone, Every mouth is fed, 
And there's no one left in the orphan's bed. Every lonely heart finds their one true love. And there's no more goodbye and no more not enough. And there's no more enemy. It's his vision of the future that sustained him through his grief in the presence. And for those of us who have lost loved ones, it sustains us too. We do not grieve without hope. Maybe you're suffering right now. Maybe life is hard for you. Can you persevere? Knowing that there will be a day when all of that will end. There will be a day when the curse will be gone and we will live in the presence of God, caught in his presence and his love, and we will be taken up in worship of him, the one who made all things right, who makes all things new. Our ability to persevere through suffering will be closely related to the focus of our our vision of heaven. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. What an awesome promise. We will see his face. The face that no man can look at and live will now shine on us. And not only we will not be harmed, but we will be home. His name will be written on our foreheads. He, he will be the one who owns us. He is the one who is in charge of us. And we will rule with him age after age after age after age. Verse 6. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. And then Jesus himself enters the conversation. Verse 7, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. This is the basis of faith. Seeing what God is doing, hearing his voice, declaring that it is trustworthy and then choosing to obey. And in this place, life will be all life was meant to be. We live in this uh, reality where all things we want don't seem to satisfy us. They just don't. Work is futile. Relationships end. Our sexual explorations leave us always wanting more. Our experience is always wanting, never quite getting. Just when we think we might have something good, it slips through our fingers. This in itself tells us something. Again, C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. There is more. There's more. So knowing that, do do we then just forget about this world? Do we kind of live in isolation from it? It's not what the Bible tells us. Uh, Verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, 
Do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Then Jesus interjects again. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Jesus is the one coming to judge the world. We need to live for him now as though we were already in that new world. That's why the angel says to continue that way of life. And Jesus reminds them that there is a judgment coming for deeds. Because of the glorious life we're going to step into, we need to live a life of faith. And God, showing through obedience, continue in righteousness and holiness to him as though we were already in the age to come. That we would be so transformed by God's grace that we know being part of that age is not about our works. It's only about what he has done for us. But we continue to be part of what he wants to build into his future. We need to live the kind of lives that will be part of that world. Can I use a pretty shallow analogy to help you understand this? Uh, it's springtime at the moment, and before long, it will be summer. Uh, the weather will be hot, the beaches will be full, and the pools will be open. And if you have kids like mine, you will be going swimming. You will be going swimming. They will make you go swimming. I had to go swimming twice in the holidays. My kids love to go uh, swimming. And, and for many people, this can lead to body anxiety. That extra weight that kept you warm in the winter is not so welcome when the judgmental eyes of the tanned and toned elite are on you, right? So many people at this time of year begin to eat a little bit less cake and do a few more sit-ups. They stop chewing on the chocolate bar and start sucking on seeds. They go to the gym a bit more. They park a bit further from their work and walk a bit more. Sucking on seeds, great fun, isn't it? Much better than chocolate. Why? Why would you even do that? Because they want to create the per kind of person that will fit into that world. It is pretty shallow, isn't it? I was tossing up between that and, and singing uh, Part of Our World from The Little Mermaid. I went with this one. But, but who cares if you fit into that world? Who cares if your body actually matches up to societal norms? Yes, be fit and healthy, but remember, none of that will last. However, what does, does last is the fitness and the healthiness that's on the inside. That will last into eternity. There is a day coming when you will be known by everyone, including God. You'll be fully seen by him. So you want to have the kind of character that is consistent with his way of doing life. Cut out the deeds of darkness. Eliminate conformity and instead focus on the things in your life that will last experience his grace and be cleansed by him and then live in that reality by the power of his grace. Live in the light of heaven. That's what that means. It's to live as though heaven was a reality now. Jesus continues in verse 13. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who love to live a lie. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. What a phrase. I am the bright and morning star. The only way the world is made right is through Jesus. The beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega, which is a title for God earlier in Revelation. The first and the last. Both the source of David and the heir to his throne. The bright and morning star. So we come and we, we offer, we accept his forgiveness. And we wash our robes. We worship and we live for him. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride said, come, let anyone who hears this, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires, drink freely from the water of life. You are invited. You're invited. All are invited. Bring them in. Come, come drink of the water that will never run dry. Come, lead, a drink of the water that leads to life. Come, says the Spirit. Come, join the church. You will be able to drink from the water of life in the presence of God forever. It's an open invitation to all people. I'm filled with joy that I'm invited in. You are invited in. It should fill you with joy. All are invited in. We should bring them in. Anyone who is thirsty is welcome to drink of the waters of life. Come. So what is our response to God's come? It's to respond in kind. Verse 20. He who is a faith, the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. And here we go. Finally, we've got to it. The name of our series. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. And that's it. That is how the Bible ends. What feeling does that leave you with? The word that comes to my mind is longing. Longing. Because as my hope and my joy come together, I pray with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? How long until that great reality can be a reality for us now? How long until we get to be in that place together before the throne of God? What an awesome reality that is there. And I see what is happening around me. I see what's happening in me. And I desire something better. And that's what God has placed in every human heart. Every time you sense that longing for something more, that's God in there doing something in your heart, waking you up to him so you will want what he wants in the future and now. See, one day, unless Jesus does come first, you will die. It might come quickly. It might be drawn out. As you close your eyes and you know death is certain, there will be grief and there will be a feeling of loss. But if you believe in Jesus, there is a certainty that death, death is not the end. Death is the doorway to life. Here's how Andrew Peterson says it in a song after the last tear falls. 
says, after the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and blood, bone, after the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last year that's just too hard, there is love. After the last disgrace, after the last lie to save some face, after the last brutal jab from a poisoned tongue, after the last dirty politician, after the last meal down at the mission, after the, la the last lonely night in prison, there is love. Because after the last plan fails, after the last siren wails, after the last young husband sails off to join the war, after the last this marriage is over, after the last young girl's innocence is stolen, after the last years of silence that won't let a heart be open, there is love, 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 there is love. And in the end, there's oceans and oceans of love and love again. We'll see how the tears that have fallen were caught in the palms of the giver of love and the lover of all. And we'll look back on these tears as old tales. So our response to pain, to difficulty, to the longing in our heart is hope. Hope for all who put their faith in Jesus. That even though they die, it will be like the rest of sleep. And when we, uh, we wake, we will smell a sweet fragrance on the air and the sound of singing over the water. And the grey mist will be rolled back to show white shores and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise. That's Tolkien who said that. And we will say, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. And a voice will cry, come further up, come further in. That's C.S. Lewis. And this is a place that will be no fantasy, a new heaven and a new earth, new bodies, a place where work satisfies, where all the good of our culture, of every culture, can be fully embraced and expressed, where good remains, where the rags of sin will be replaced by the robes of right living, where there is joy without a but then, where sorrow ceases and there are no tears, where we have closeness and intimacy with each other, with no barriers between us, where there is only adoration of God without any shame, where faith remains because we will know God fully and be fully known, where hope remains because even though we will have everything we ever need, there is always more, where love remains because that has been the point all along. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Will you live for it? Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.